pastor here. And um, as I've been reflecting on just the run-up to our fourth birthday, uh, one of the things that I'm pretty excited to celebrate is not just Mitch um, and people like Mitch, but actually, as we've grown and changed over the last four years, one of the things that I have seen is that a, a bunch of people who have followed Jesus um, way back there four years ago are continuing to follow Jesus through ups and downs of life, through many changes in life circumstances, continuing to work out how they might use their gifts to serve and build up the church, continuing to work out how they can be people on everyday mission. And uh, one of the things that I've experienced in the past when it comes to church is that often, and people are really full of zeal in the early stages and really excited um, when they are young, but once life starts to hit, having babies, getting jobs, doing all of those things, it, it dwindles away. And I haven't seen that at established church. So I'm really excited, and I just want to encourage you guys to keep on going with that, because we will only grow in our love and knowledge of Jesus and only grow seeing more people come to know him through you guys. So keep, keep on going. Um, I'm going to pray in a moment, um, but just before I pray, I just want to say to you that if when we were reading through, particularly if you're here checking out Jesus today for the first time, if you were reading through that passage and you heard the, the section about women being quiet in the church, um, I just want to say we're not going to deal with that today. Um, Paul does earlier on in uh, the book talk about women praying and prophesying actually in the church. So whatever we say there, we have to weigh it up along with that. But you can go back um, probably about four or five sermons ago uh, where we dealt with that more extensively. Now, we know that it's something that really does rub us up, and, and, and I want you to hear that um, and go back and have a listen, um, and that'll help you understand that. Um, but we're not looking at that today. We're not looking at tongues today. We're just simply looking at what Paul says about prophecy. And why don't you pray with me, and we'll get into it. And Father God, I just um, thank you so much that you give us your word to teach us, correct us, rebuke us, and encourage us. Um, Holy Spirit, we thank you so much that you shine a light on, um, on these words um, to help us to be more like Jesus. Would you help us today to set aside a lot of our preconceived ideas and hear what it is that you want us to hear? Um, but more than that, Father, I, I pray that, that, that as we um, wrestle with what it looks like or what you mean by prophecy and what it looks like in the life of the church, and that we'll be people that are so committed um, to loving and following your word that we will hear it and that we'll take it to heart, but, but we'll also put it into practice. I pray, Lord, that we will be a church um, that will continue to use all of the gifts that you give us um, for the sake of growing this church and seeing hundreds of people establish life in and through your son. Uh, we thank you for that. We know that you do that, Lord. I pray that you will help us to listen um, to you today. Amen. Amen. So like James was saying before, we're in the last week of um, a little mini-series in the book of 1 Corinthians on spiritual gifts. We've been wrestling with what spiritual gifts are, and particularly um, of the more supernatural spiritual gifts, what place do they have in the church? Do they continue? Do they not continue? What are they? How should we practice them? And this afternoon, we're just really going to zoom in on one of those gifts, which we've said before is prophecy. But to kick us off, I've got a couple of hunches, and I really want to see if um, this actually plays out. So I want to poll 
you guys, and I want to get your answers to three core questions on prophecy. But rather than getting you to stand up and tell me what you think or speak to the person beside you, I want you to crank open, if you've got the YouVersion Bible app, open that up, and on the app, you'll see just after the Bible reading and before the notes, uh, there are three links there. Now, you don't need to sign into anything. All you need to do is hit the link, say anonymous or skip this part, and then you'll come up with a bunch of options. And we're going to get them up on the screen now. Um, but here's the first question. I've also actually put these on the Facebook family page as well, so you can participate through that too. Um, are we good, good to go, Tim? All right, maybe just clear those. So if you get the thing on the other side, it'll let you clear it. We'll start again. We'll start again, right? Let me give you the, the options first. Here's the first question. What is prophecy? Right, is it something that helps us work out who the chosen one is in a sci-fi movie? So like Harry Potter or Neo from The Matrix? Is it a word from God that helps someone make decisions in their life? Is it predicting something that might happen in the future? Is it something that happened in the early church but no longer applies to us today? Is it an authoritative word from God? Is it something different than this? You're maybe not sure, but you think it hasn't been picked up on one of those things. So, have you got your Bible app open? Have you got access to the questionnaire? All right, go for it. Give us, give us your answers. Don't think about it too long. Let's see what happens. Okay. It looks like people are not wanting to make decisions on what it is. Um, 59%, I think it's something different. That's the safe option, isn't it? An authoritative word from God's moving up there. Um, something that helps us work out who the chosen one is in the matrix. Uh, you know what I mean? Hopefully you translate Jesus into that uh, from the Old Testament. All right. We still moving? Oh, I think my, um, my, my prophecy is true that you're not really sure um, what it is because it keeps on changing all of the time. Um, all right, let's, let's jump to the next question. Um, the next question is, is the gift of prophecy for the church today? Is the gift of prophecy for the church today? Yes, no, or not sure. But, you know, I mean, draw a line in the sand. Just, just choose one. Um, yes, no, or not sure. Oh. <laughs> it looks like you guys are answering and taking your answers back again. Um, <laughs> oh, I've committed. I don't want to. No, no, I'm not going to do that. All right. That's interesting. Last question. Um, it's going to come up on the screen as well. Uh, who has the gift of prophecy? Can everybody have the gift of prophecy? Is it only prophets, like as in those who are designated as a capital P prophet, a bit like Isaiah and Jeremiah? Is it only super spiritual people um, or maybe only people in the New Testament and Old Testament? So it doesn't continue today. You got it? A 
Okay, no takers for C, oh, C and D. They're coming up. Okay. I've got no idea what's going on with that one. <laughs> but it looks as though we've got an overwhelming majority saying that everyone uh, can have the gift of prophecy. Let me tell you my hunch. We can probably pull that down now, Tim. That's, that's brilliant. Thanks, mate. But my hunch is that, that as we ask questions about that, that we would get varied answers the whole way across the board. That for some of you in here, um, prophecy uh, will be no more than maybe flicking somebody a Bible verse um, and uh, saying, hey, God told me to uh, send this verse to you. Um, and then for others of you, um, it may be that the more you kind of have held the view uh, that prophecy is something that you have lived your life by and it holds a, a similar weight of authority um, to the Bible itself. Uh, maybe some of you have been in here and you have just thought prophecy is the, the thing that all mums seem to have, you know, when you can't find something and you go and say, Mom, I can't find this thing, and then they can just know exactly where it is, you know, like, like it's prophetic nearly. Um, and then, you know, and, and then on the flip side of that, uh, this may be something that um, has, has actually spoken something really quite significant into, um, into your life. Uh, that has built you up and encouraged you, or potentially even maybe the opposite, um, something that has been used maybe in a way that has actually pulled you down and, uh, and discouraged you, and maybe even used in an abusive way. And, and, and I'm sure that, that, that within this room, we've got all sorts of different opinions on what prophecy is. We could have added another 20 categories up there, and I reckon we would have had things spread across the board as well. Here's the other hunch. Uh, that I had as I was thinking about this um, over these last few weeks. And it's that one of the reasons why we've got varied opinions is that it's actually really hard to be able to come up with a definition of what prophecy is, particularly when we look at the New Testament. So we discovered this as we were looking at prophecy um, in, uh, in our gospel communities this week, and I've heard a bunch of people uh, have been replying to me saying, hey, Paul doesn't really seem to say all that much, and, and uh, he tells us a little bit, but not really many things. And, uh, and what has happened is we've tended to um, sit back with the preconceived ideas that we've, previous, that we've already had. Um, it might be because of our experience or our church tradition. We've just went, right, okay, what, because Paul doesn't seem to be saying too much, whatever we've previously held and, and believed, we're just going to hang on to that, and that will do um, so today, what I, what I want to do is, I, I want to hopefully help you to deconstruct that a little bit, and, um, and my prayer is that as we look at this passage, um, that we see some things that Paul's actually saying to us um, that I think will be encouraging for us, but, but we will probably challenge a whole bunch of different ideas as to what prophecy is, and I hope that as we do that, one of the things that we can leave here today with doing is, is actually eagerly desiring the spiritual gifts that God has given to us. And in particular, um, this gift of prophecy that Paul's been talking about. And here's how we're going to do this, right? We're going to do a quick recap of what we've covered over these last three weeks in one point. Um, we're going to look at what Paul says about spiritual gifts. Then we're going to uh, go back to, probably if you've been around Christian circles for a while, a very basic 
um, look at what Paul is actually saying in 1 Corinthians 14. And the reasons why I want to do that is we, we read our ideas into the text, and I want to help you just to simply pick out here is what Paul is saying and, and try to hold all of that together. Then in the third point, we're going to try and work out, are there some things that we can say about this? What does Paul mean? Um, what can we say? What can't we say? And then finally, depending on how much time we've got, uh, we're going to deal with some questions that you guys have had about prophecy in your gospel communities and then also about spiritual gifts in general. So you with me? A bit of a different sermon compared to normal this week. We're going to recap. We're going to look at exactly what Paul says. So have your Bibles open. Then we're going to try and pull together what Paul means. And then we'll see how some of this hits the road in practice through some of the questions. Are you ready? Yeah, you are. Come on. You're ready. Um, you're ready. Right, so what Paul says about spiritual gifts in general, um, you can go back on and have a listen to the three sermons that we've been preaching these last three weeks. But here's what we've been saying. A spiritual gift is any ability that has been given to us by God to spirit-filled people that is used to build up the body of Christ. Let me say that again. A spiritual gift is any ability given by God to spirit-filled people that is used to build up the body of Christ. So back in chapter 12, uh, when Paul talks to the Corinthians about spiritual gifts, it seems to be that a spiritual gift is actually any ability. That is, it's everything from the mundane the whole way through to the miraculous for Paul, right? So when you look at the passage in, in chapter 12 where he lists twice two different spiritual gifts or the other three times in the New Testament where spiritual gifts are highlighted, you see things like serving alongside speaking in tongues and you see things like helping alongside healing. You get the mundane and the miraculous coming together. So it's, it's any ability. It's not just limited to the things that we would say are the more supernatural gifts. It also includes the serving. But we also have to acknowledge that it's not just reduced to things like setting up chairs and doing the helping. And depending on your church background, it'll determine which one of those two slots you end up sliding into. But I think when we look at the gifts that Paul outlines for us in the five bits of the New Testament, um, we see that it seems to be any ability, that it's basically the mundane things alongside the miraculous things. And because, um, because these gifts have been things that have been given then to build up the body of Christ, one of the things that we're saying is that, that actually we need all of them to be in play within the body, and that we shouldn't downplay some of the gifts, even if they seem mundane, and we shouldn't deify or elevate other gifts, even if they seem way more miraculous and way more cool than the others, and we actually need them all. And Paul basically tells us in 1 Corinthians 12 through to 14 that we shouldn't do that, that we shouldn't do that because these gifts have been given to Christians by God for building up his body. And, and that's essentially what we were saying, and it pulls into the second thing, right? Which is that they've been given by God to spirit-filled people. Uh, these are things, right, that have been given by God. It might be that you had an innate ability as a child, or you developed some kind of skill through your work, or whatever it was, or, or even 
miraculously discovered that you had a gift one day, it doesn't matter which one of those categories you fall into, all of those things have actually been given to you by God. And in fact, even the breath in your lungs has been given to you by God. The, absolutely everything has been given to you by Him. And they're not just given, right, to super spiritual people. They're not just given to the most holy people. They're given to spirit-filled people, right? I don't know if you remember back in 1 Corinthians 12, it basically says more or less that they've been given to people who have accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior, people who have the Spirit of God living within them, which is pretty cool, right? Because what that means for us is that all Christians, all Christians, at the point of conversion, at the point where the Holy Spirit comes and lives within you, you actually have been given at that point gifts, spiritual gifts, to be used to build up the body of Christ. Now, it doesn't mean that you've got all of them all of the time, and that as soon as you become a Christian, you all of a sudden are like Neo in the Matrix, you know, where you end up discovering that you can just download all of these skills and gifts. They, they have to be developed, they have to be nurtured, they have to be discovered, they have to be used, all of that kind of stuff. But it does mean that absolutely every single one of us who confess Jesus as our Lord and Savior have spiritual gifts. Now, there's one last thing that we need to and pick up on here is that these gifts for Paul, I reckon, are spiritual gifts. We, we might have them, but the purpose of having this gift is that we actually use it to build up the body of Christ. It's not something that primarily is used um, to build up the world or maybe to build up things that are going on outside of the church. They're not necessarily primarily there to build up ourselves, although it will impact both of those things. They've been given to us primarily to build up the church. Now, we've got a question about that that you guys asked that we'll um, dig into it. But Paul is basically saying that a spiritual gift is something that is used to make us more like Jesus. And, uh, and if it doesn't do that, then, hey, it may not be a spiritual gift. My wife um, used to play bagpipes. Um, I'm not entirely sure how that would build up the church and establish if she played bagpipes um, during the gathering. So, you know, I'm pretty certain that bagpipes aren't a spiritual gift. Sorry, Cathra. Um, now, <laughs> anyway, that's just a little joke aside. Uh, as we think about what a spiritual gift is, uh, one of the things that we've seen that Paul, he actually takes a whole chapter, doesn't he, to um, help us understand this, that because it's something that's been given by God to Christians for the building up of the church, it ought to be something that's wrapped up in like double layers of love. That love is the core defining thing that actually puts this into practice. In fact, he tells us that if we have prophecy and we do not have love, then we pretty much don't have anything. So it doesn't matter how skilled up you might be, the whole thing that kind of puts this into practice is love. And if we don't have that, then we've absolutely got nothing. Now, I suspect that because the spiritual gifts are things that build up the church primarily, that this is why Paul goes on to talk about tongues uh, at the beginning of chapter 14, and where he basically says, hey, look, tongues, they are unintelligible words, and because they're unintelligible words, then they cannot build up the church unless they're interpreted 
Therefore, if you're going to use tongues, because gifts are of the things that build up the church, then they either need to be used in private or they need to be interpreted. So, so do you get that? Because it's love that helps us to edify the church, if it's a gift that is not doing that, then it's something that we do in private or it should be interpreted. So that's basically what we've said over the last um, few weeks. You can go and have a listen to the sermon. This is what we've said. A spiritual gift is any ability given to God by spirit-filled people that is used to build up the body of Christ. It includes the miraculous gifts. It includes the mundane gifts. And if we don't get this established church, if we don't get this and all we do today is just plug into um, this idea of prophecy, I reckon we'll be at huge risk of either downplaying the gift of prophecy in the church or deifying it, which is exactly what was going on, I think, in the Corinthian church and in the church in Thessalonica as well. So we need to understand what's going on here. Before we, un before we unpack what it is, though, um, let me just say something else that we said about supernatural gifts, because all of our thinking about the Bible is always shaped by our communities that we're part of and different people and different experiences down through history. If you think that you've got some kind of fresh understanding that only you have, you're probably wrong because you're part of a community always and you're always part of a group of people. And essentially, and down through the ages, there have been two major groups uh, that have thought about spiritual gifts, particularly the supernatural ones. And one group of people have basically said um, that the miraculous gifts, like speaking in tongues, healing, miraculous works, all of that stuff, that that died off with the apostles. So basically, at the end of the book of Acts, as soon as the apostles died, then all of those things died with it. Um, they no longer applied or no longer needed. Now, that view and that idea is basically the idea of secessionism. You don't need to remember the word. You just need to know they do not believe that the supernatural gifts of the Spirit have continued anywhere beyond Acts. Then on the other end of the spectrum, you've got people who have generally said, no, 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 we think that's entirely wrong. And what is right is that all of the spiritual gifts, including the spiritual gift of prophecy, all of that is actually available to all Christians in all times and places, and we should seek to exercise it all of the time. And that view is called continuationism. So if you've got it, you've got on one side, cessationism, which is basically they ceased, and the other side, continuationism, which is basically they continue. And I suspect that for many of you guys, the churches that you've been part of, the experiences that you have had, has probably put you somewhere on the spectrum of those two bits of understanding, even if you're not aware of the words. Now, I want to suggest another way, and, uh, and, and another way for me, and I think this is where I stand, is that I believe that some of the spiritual gifts are available to some Christians some of the time in all times and places. So I don't think that they've ceased entirely, uh, but the reason why I want to say that some of them have is that I don't think the gift of apostleship continues in the same way that it does with Paul. But I do think for um, some of our Christian experience that things like speaking in tongues, prophecy, gifts of healing, and all of those things um, are available as God wants to give them out to the church for some Christians. I don't think that it should be the experience of all Christians. So this is a bit of a middle way 
approach. And, and that, that informs what I think about prophecy. So it's really important to understand that. But it's also important to understand what you think about that as well. Um, so if you go onto the Bible app, there's a bunch of different resources there to help you dig into that a little bit more. So if you got what we're saying, this is where we've been over the last three weeks. And um, so let's look at what Paul says about prophecy. Crank open your Bible. We're just going to camp into um, 1 Corinthians 14. And we're going to work through it, dot point, the whole way along, um, and just see if we can get a bit of an idea, and then we'll build a picture uh, from there. The first thing we see, have a look at verse 1, is that prophecy is a spiritual gift, right? Get this, that we should eagerly desire. Verse 1, follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. And you actually see the same thing again down in verse 40. It's something that's also used to edify and build up the church. Have a look at verses 3 and 4. The one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks a tongue edifies themselves. This is what I was saying before. But the one who prophesies edifies the church. The difference between those two is just that one is unintelligible and the other one is intelligible, unless, of course, you've got translation going on. Next thing. It seems to be described as a revelation. Did you see that word there? It's described as a revelation or a word of instruction. Have a look at verse 6 or verse 26. You get a similar idea going on. And possibly as well, that not only is it there for the encouragement and building up, we get an example here, don't we, of someone who is not yet a Christian who comes into the church and they seem to hear what is going on um, in terms of people prophesying, which I think in this case is probably they've heard some content of the gospel of Jesus, and that has revealed in them uh, the sin in their heart, and they repent and say sorry to God, and they bow down, and they worship him. Did you see that in verse 24? But now, that is not the primary thing that, that prophecy does, I don't think, but, but it certainly seems to be there. Next thing, are you following? It's ordered. Did you see that? It's actually mentioned a couple of times. It's ordered, and it has to be done in a fitting way. Now, now Paul describes that in verse 29 to 32, and he appeals to this because he basically says, look, God is a God of order. And you would assume from that, wouldn't you, that if God is a God for, of order who gives you a gift to be used to build up his church, that it ought to be something that is done in an orderly way. And that means that we actually don't get to decide how it's used. God does. Have a look at verse 40, because he's much more explicit with this command, right? Everything should be done, not just prophecy, everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. Next thing, it's something that should be weighed carefully, like all of the prophets were weighed carefully. Verse 29, two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. Next thing, it appears to be spontaneous, doesn't it? Now, it's not immediately obvious there that it's spontaneous, but Paul is basically saying, hey, look, if two or three people have got a prophecy, um, they've got an opportunity to speak. One person speaks at one time, and then another person gets up. But in verse 30, he says, if the revelation comes to someone, 
who is sitting down, presumably it has come in the moment spontaneously, then the other person should stop and they should stand up and give their prophecy. So, so it seems as though there's something about this that at least can be spontaneous. Point G, it brings peace. Now this is particularly important for you if you have felt that you've received a word of prophecy from someone and it has brought you um, angst and pain and confusion uh, because this tells us that whatever we say about prophecy, that it should be something that brings peace. Now, it might not bring that in the moment for sure, but it does seem to be something that actually he says um, is in effect or should be taken on board by all of the churches in verse 33. It's not just talking to the Corinthians, right? Some people will say, and he's just talking to the Corinthians because they were scumbags and they were just using their gifts to dog everybody else and they were doing this in just a very disordered way. So he's just speaking to them. But Paul says, no, 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 no. This is for all of the congregations of, Lord, of the Lord's people. Whatever we say a prophecy, it should bring peace. It looks as well, doesn't it, that there were plenty of people claiming to be prophets. And, and it's important for us to get that in chapter 12, Paul does say and seems to suggest that, that there are people who are called prophets. We're going to look at that a little bit in a second. But regardless, regardless of what it is that God might have revealed to these people, prophets, potentially they might be capital P prophets, they might not be, um, it doesn't seem that whatever it is that they're saying, that it's got greater authority than Paul. Now, underline this bit, because we're going to come back to it in a minute. You see, they are to weigh up what's going on, aren't they? But did you notice what Paul says in verse 37? Have a look. Actually, open up your Bible apps and whatever, and have a look at this, because this is really important for us to grasp. If anyone thinks they are a prophet or otherwise gifted by the Spirit, let them acknowledge what I am writing to you. That what I am writing to you is, what does it say? The, tell me, somebody tell me, the Lord's command. But if anyone ignores this, they will be themselves ignored. Paul seems to be subjecting whatever it is that, that these people are saying, it comes under his authority. And in fact, that's something that is spoken to all of the churches. Paul is saying, this isn't just my words, right? These are the Lord's commands, and, and you need to listen to that. Now, there's a whole bunch of other places where prophecy is spoken about in the New Testament. It's in four of the spiritual gift lists. It's probably there present, although not in word form. In the fifth one, uh, we see it in 1 Thessalonians 5 as well, where uh, people are told not to despise prophecies, but they're to weigh them up. We see lots of examples of it in the book of Acts, so say like Ananias, who is basically uh, given a prophecy from God that Saul, who becomes Paul, will end up coming to his house. Um, and we see other examples of that as well. But here's the thing that you need to get, and it's this. This is the most sustained teaching that we have got about prophecy in the New Testament. This is where we build most of our understanding of what New Testament prophecy is. And is it any wonder that it's difficult for us to come up with a definition, right? Did you get that? You know, like we've been told lots and lots of little things, but, but from that it's really hard 
to actually come up with a firm definition of what prophecy is. And if you feel that, you're not, you're not alone. And people have been wrestling with this for many, many years. I attempted about a hundred different definitions uh, this week and have read many others, and none of them quite satisfy. But I do want you to be confident in something. I want you to be confident in the fact that there are some things that we actually can say. There are some things that we can say. So here's what I think Paul actually means regarding prophecy, I think. If you've got the Bible app, I've got I think at the end there, um, because some of this stuff I, I think is open to interpretation. Um, essentially, um, as we look at this, there's probably two big things that I, I think we should really take away from what Paul's saying about prophecy. The first one is that prophecy is a revelation given by God to build up the church. A prophecy is a revelation given by God to someone that then ends up communicating that to someone else, either individually or in a group setting, to build up the church. But what the heck does Paul mean by revelation? What does Paul mean by revelation? I reckon if you come from a similar church background to me, you get really nervous when you hear that word. And because you know that the Bible is, is, is the final authority on who God is. So, so when we think about this word revelation, we go, oh man, that feels like you're undermining Scripture. And it could be that revelation is just always something that is just future focused. Um, and we're, we're going to dig into this in a second. Um, but essentially the broader definition, right? Here's what revelation means. Revelation means to unveil something, to reveal it. So just think of a magician that reveals a rabbit coming out of a hat. That is revelation. And it's also revelation of I tell you that I am Irish and that next year I will be 40 and that I've got four kids. And that is revelation. It's an insight into who I am. It's just simply revealing something. So in many ways, there's not really all that much miraculous in the general sense of what revelation is. But the interesting thing is, isn't it, that Paul doesn't really say how this revelation comes. He, he, we get an idea that it could be words, and we see in other parts of the New Testament that it might come through dreams or a prompt or a reminder, and depending on what church background you come from will determine how you speak about this. Um, but we get those examples in the New Testament, don't we? We get examples of um, people having dreams. We get examples of God maybe seemingly giving uh, people insight into certain things that are going on, like Ananias and Sapphira who end up lying about the money that they gave to the church. And Peter, I think, ends up getting an insight um, into that. And it could be something that is about the future as well. It could be a revealing of something that is in the future. But here's what I want you to get, because there were quite a lot of you, weren't there? What, I don't know how many percentage of people said that a prophecy was about something in the future. Um, it is that and can be that, but here's what I want to qualify for you. Only 8%, now we have to go back to the Old Testament for this, only 8% of Old Testament prophecy is concerning the future. So if you look up a book, it's called How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth by Gordon Fee brilliant, brilliant book. Um, they've basically broken down all of, the prof all of the prophecy in the Old Testament, and they've said it's something like 5% of it 
appeals to um, Jesus in the future. 1% of it is talking about stuff about the coming kingdom and another 2%, or no, 2% of it is talking about the coming kingdom and 1% is talking about events that haven't happened yet. Which means that 92% of the prophecy that we see, at least in the Old Testament, isn't just a revealing of the future. Now, now you have to hold that intention, right? Because what is it that's going on in the Old Testament if it's not all future-orientated? What does that mean for what revelation is? Wait, here's what I think. Um, here's what prophets did in the Old Testament, right? Prophets basically were these dudes that came along, and, and women as well, um, who came along, and they essentially said to Israel, hey, guess what, guys? You've got the law of God, You've got the books of the Bible. You've got the law of God. And you know that in the law of God, that God tells you that if you obey the law, you'll be blessed. And if you do not obey the law, you will be cursed. So I've been sent here by God to say to you, obey the law or these things will happen. And, and that's essentially what a prophet did. Sometimes it was words of damnation. Sometimes it was words of salvation, depending upon the result of them obeying the word or not. Now, what were the prophets doing in that instance? They were revealing or uncovering freshly for the people the word of God, the stuff that they already had, the things that um, they already knew, but for whatever reason, they weren't taking heed of. Now, it's not quite this, but I suspect it's a little bit like um, you know when you read, if, if you've been a Christian for a while, and let's say there's been one passage that you've read a hundred times, right? And then on the hundred and first time you read it, it just seems like something pops out at you. That, that something is of particular encouragement to you at that moment in time, or particularly convicting of your sin. Have you had that experience? It, it's like the Holy Spirit is shining a light on Scripture or revealing it to you in a way that's really appropriate in the moment. Or, um, and this happens to me from time to time as well, um, and certainly you guys tell me that it happens you, uh, when you hear a sermon, and I don't think prophecy is just preaching a sermon, uh, but when you hear a sermon on a passage that you've maybe heard over and over and over again, you've listened to a million podcasts on it, but for whatever reason, when you hear it this time, it's like the Holy Spirit is just shining a big old light in your heart and telling you very clearly that you should do something or not do something, or he is encouraging you in the moment because you are going through a very rough and tough time. Now, what's going on there? Well, the Holy Spirit is revealing the Word of God the heart of God, the mind of God, telling us something about who he is and who you are and what that means for your life, that is revealing. Now, the Bible theology word for that is more illumination. So this isn't prophecy because prophecy has been given to someone that is then communicated to someone else. But I think it's similar. I think it's a similar thing that's going on. Let me give you an example from my own life, um, not to kind of you to take this away that Lee thinks he's a, a prophet or anything like that, but I regularly, regularly wake up at night or just uh, during the day um, with somebody's name on my mind, uh, just somebody that I know and um, that I've met 
and, uh, and, and I just feel like they're just there. They're just in my mind. And, uh, and then as I'm reading my Bible or whatever, I feel like God is either saying to me, hey, you should bring them up and let them know that you've been praying for them. Uh, you should let them know uh, that, you know that you've been thinking of them or send them through this Bible passage. Right? Very, very simple things. And, and I do that. And lo and behold, they come back to me and say, man, that really spoke to me. Did you know what was going on in my heart today? or in my life, and I'm like, no chance, I had no idea, um, but God just seemed to put that on my heart. Now, it could be that I'm just this super awesome, uh, emotionally intelligent bloke who's full of wisdom, right? But that's not true. Um, I actually think it's far better to see that as God, by His Spirit, actually giving me a word for someone else. And it depends on which side of the spectrum that you sit will determine how you talk about that. But I think it's a similar thing that's going on here. Do you see? Now, I think there's much more to it than that. Prophecy isn't just that. And don't hear me saying that I'm reducing it down to just that. But it's not just these super awesome, miraculous insights that you get as a spur of the moment. It's not just that either. I think it encompasses a whole range of different things um, that's going on. Now, there's a couple of different things that actually um, that we see in the New Testament. You can go and have a look at it yourself, like Timothy. Um, Timothy seems to get a word of prophecy from it's either his mom or his grandmom about the fact that he would be a leader in the church. And Paul writes to him and he says, hey, remember the prophecy that you had about this thing. Remember that. Um, so it's not just hey, encourage this person with a Bible verse. It has to be a little bit more than that. But it's not any less than that. Now, whatever we make of all of this revelation thing, um, I, I don't know what you're thinking about so far, but here's what we said. Revelation, it's unveiling of something. It could be some kind of future thing, but not necessarily because only 8% of what we see of prophecy in the Old Testament was future prediction. And so therefore, we're saying that, that, that I think what it's doing is, is largely unveiling that which is already there, which is found um, in the Word of God. That's, that's not a fresh revelation in that sense that you have come up with a new doctrine about who God is. And, and we'll get to this in a second. Um, but I do think there's a couple of other things that we need to say about this revelation, right? It appears that it can be spontaneous, but it doesn't necessarily need to be. I don't know how you read that, but go back and have a look at it where he's saying, hey, when there's two or three prophets speaking in the church, I, I think that they are probably people who have actually had words of prophecy or whatever before they have come to church. Um, and then he's specifically then singling out, hey, and if this other thing happens, that spontaneously you're given a word as you're sitting, and hearing other people prophesy, then you stand up and you give your prophecy. And um, so I think that it just means that this revelation can either be something that is just weighing on you for a long time, uh, that you then at some point decide to communicate, and you may or may not get to communicate it. I don't think that's clear. Um, but it also could be something that happens spontaneously. And, and I reckon that a lot of the, the thinking that we have on prophecy basically puts it all in the spontaneous camp that, that it, it has to be spontaneous all of the time. But here's the thing. Whatever we say, even if it's spontaneous, and, and you have to see this, it's intelligible. 
and it's ordered. Which probably means for me that prophecy ought to be something that is quite specific and understandable. Now, it might not be always immediately clear, and that clarification would come through weighing it up. But, but I don't think that this is a very general word, a little bit like a horoscope sign, that, that when you say it, that it could appeal to kind of like five or six people in the room. Um, I think that it's something that is more specific rather than general, that it's something that is understandable rather than vague. Now, it may not be immediately, uh, you might not immediately understand it, but, but I think over time you will. Um, which which I, I think just means that I, whatever we're saying about prophecy, it's not this spontaneous, sporadic kind of ecstasy of utterances. It's, it's not any of that. Um, and I reckon that if you've been part of a church where that has been the practice of, of the way that prophecy goes down, then you might want to come back and have a look at what, um, what Paul's saying here. But probably the most important thing, and, and here's the one big thing, that, that I want you to get from this. Probably the most important thing is that prophecy is not authoritative in the same way that Scripture is. Let me just say that again. Prophecy isn't authoritative in the same way as Scripture. So it is revelation given by God to a believer to build up the church. Absolutely it is. But that revelation and that authority, whatever it is, it comes under the authority of the Bible. And that means that it is, and ca- or that it can be fallible. So prophecy is not an infallible thing. It can't be. Why? Well, it's because it has to be weighed up. And, and because it has to be weighed up, and because we're told in other parts, like in 1 John and in 1 Thessalonians 5, that we're to test the spirits that we are to test and approve the prophecies, that means that sometimes, even with the best possible intentions of somebody saying to you, hey, God, give me this word for you, that it could be wrong. And it also means that every time you hear that from someone, that it always should be weighed up. And, and that ought to kind of fill us with a little bit of caution, shouldn't it? About what we do with some of the words and that people uh, give us. Let me give you an example. Because, you know, Paul actually also subjects them to his authority, and I think that's because he's a capital P prophet, right? But if Paul thought that prophecy was literally on par with Scripture in terms of its authority, um, then you would assume, wouldn't you, that if somebody spoke a word of prophecy to him, that he would listen, and he would do what he was told, because it was God specifically speaking to him. Well, if you go away... Um, after today and have a look at Acts 21, um, you basically see Paul who um, has, uh, he has his own prophecy that he should go to Jerusalem, right? And, And he sets out on his way to Jerusalem. And on his way to Jerusalem, a couple of prophets come with prophecies to him. And they basically say, hey, look, I don't think God, I don't think Paul, you should go to Jerusalem. And then another guy called Agabus, he comes along and he says, hey, I don't think you should go to Jerusalem. If you go to Jerusalem, these things will happen to you. You'll be bound up. You'll be put in prison. All of this stuff will happen. And what does Paul do? Does anybody know the story? Does he go to Jerusalem? Yeah, he goes to Jerusalem. Now, ask yourself this. If prophecy is 
revelation, like the Word of God, that is the same kind of authority as the Bible, what would Paul do in that case? He would obey it, wouldn't he? He would actually listen, and he would actually go, or he would not go to Jerusalem at that point. Now, he probably waited up and, and decided, you know, himself or whatever what he was going to do there, but, but prophecy, whatever we say about revelation and prophecy, and whatever we say about this is God giving words through someone to speak to people and to church, we cannot say that it's authoritative in the same way that Scripture is. Now, Old Testament prophecy is really different, so I don't know if that's ringing in your head already. Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Old Testament prophets, they were literally speaking the Word of God. They said, thus is the Word of God, um, but I don't think New Testament prophecy is that at all. I think we can say, hey, um, God has laid something on my heart. Um, I think this could be for you. I've been thinking about you. I'm not entirely sure what to make of it, but I want to tell you anyway, and you can weigh it up, and you can, you, you can listen, and you can hear and see if it is in accord with Scripture. Um, so we cannot say that this is thus says the Lord. We ought to be very cautious if somebody actually says that to us, unless you think something different is going on here in terms of Paul's words. Um, but I think I reckon it's hard to say that. Now, there's much, much more to say. And uh, I want James to tell me, we have probably not got time for questions. I think I've answered some of them. But let me just say a couple of things just in closing. Um, we should, as a church and as individuals, we should eagerly desire prophecy. Now, you may sit in a different camp and you may still be wrestling with this and, and, and that's okay. That's absolutely okay. Let's keep on wrestling. Let's keep the Bible open. Let's do that in a grace-filled way. Um, but I think um, that we probably more fall into the trap of the Thessalonians rather than the Corinthians at this point in our church. And the Thessalonian trap or the Corinthian trap was they elevated all of these things way too much. The Thessalonian trap was they downplayed these things way too much. And, and, and Paul tells them, do not, do not despise prophecies. Desire them. Actually desire that God would give us words by his spirit that would encourage and build us up. Wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't it be awesome that if, that, that if throughout the week you were hearing um, people actually speaking words like that into your life? I think if we're going to eagerly desire it, we need to not write off the prompts, right, as just merely kind of Lee's intellect or somebody else's emotional intelligence or whatever, that, that actually what we should do is we should acknowledge that even through the natural means and the way that God has wired us, that the Spirit of God works in that, right? I actually don't think that we need to wrestle as to whether or not he has used part of my personality or not. It doesn't really matter because he does. So, so we should actually acknowledge that. And what that means for you is that if you receive something from somebody who says, hey, I'm sending you this Bible passage, and they don't say anything about prophecy or anything like that, they just say, I'm sending it to you, that you should thank God for that, not just for them. You should actually thank the Holy Spirit for that, not just for them. Because I suspect that there's a whole bunch of things that are going on that Paul acknowledges as prophecy in our church that because we think that it's just the miraculous, we don't attribute it to the Holy Spirit. And we don't thank him for it, and we should. 
because it builds us up. And you guys do that. I, I see that going on. Last two things. Don't say, thus says the Lord. Um, be a bit more humble than that uh, because you don't know. Um, it could be, uh, but submit to the process that Paul is talking about here where it gets weighed up. Um, if you're unsure, come and speak to the leaders. If you're unsure, actually don't just blurt it out. Pray about it. Ask God to, to help you work it out. But then don't do the other thing. And I suspect we'd more fall into this trap. We are so fearful of getting it wrong that we say nothing. So many times, I reckon for me, God has put something on my heart or on my mind to speak to someone, and I've been so scared to get it wrong, and I haven't done it. And I've really kicked myself afterwards um, because I've maybe went back again after a while and spoken to them, and they would reveal something about what was going on in their life at that point, and I'm going, oh, that would have been good to chat to you about that back then. Um, we will get it wrong, but we should desire these gifts, and we should encourage one another in it. And then the last one is because it's fallible, right? Let's get the musos up and we can get ready to sing. Um, because it's fallible, be wary of building your entire life decisions on a word of prophecy. I'm not saying don't use it, but I'm saying be wary of building your entire life decisions on it. Be wary of anything that says this is a new doctrine or a new revelation about who God is. We have got the complete revelation of who God is in the Word of God, and that is our measure. That is the thing that we are to love. That is the thing that we are to build our lives around. And as we do that, Let's eagerly desire prophecy. Let's build one another up. And let's do that all for the glory of God. I'm going to pray. Um, pray with me. Um, Father God, I just, um, I, I just thank you for, I actually thank you for vagueness at times in your word that it prevents us from being too automated. Um, Holy Spirit, help us to be gracious towards one another as we differ maybe on these things. But help us to eagerly desire um, these gifts. Build us up, Lord. Help us to be people who so long to be filled with you um, that we just, we just champion all of the different gifts that are going on in the life of established. And I pray that as we do that, and that we will be built up, that our church will be built up, and you will get all of the glory. Amen.